welcome back to Dead Headspace. This is episode 208 with Daniel Kraus. We're excited to have him back. Last year uh, was the first time we had him on, episode 156. That was August of last year, so a little over a year. Um, it was me and Brennan last time, but this time it is me, Brennan, and Candice. Brennan, say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Candice, say hello. Hello. And I am Patrick R. McDonough. Hello. And we are joined by Daniel Krause. Say hello, Daniel. Hello. So this is a loaded question. What have you been up to <laughs> what have you been up to since uh, last time? <laughs> hmm. Well, let's, last uh, August was it that we just spoke? Yes. Yeah, yeah you, you just came out with um Brennan, help me out with the title. Uh the ghost with, that ate us. That's it. Yep, with the raw dog screaming. Right. Gosh. The ghost that ate us was uh, around then of twenty twenty two. I think I think I had the third chapter in my middle grade Teddy saga book come out in January of this year. That was called They Set the Fire. And um and I think that's it until I mean I've had some comic books stuff come out between now and then. Then I think Wellfall was the um only other uh, adult novel in the interim. So that came out in well, that came out a, uh, a month ago. Um, yep, sorry, uh I muted myself. Yeah, so your tour is just like incredible. This is I, I said it on Twitter earlier, but it it's it wasn't just like blowing smoke. This is the the most hyped up book i'm talking about through trade all the way down you know through indie self-publishing it's really the most hyped up book this year and it goes beyond living up to it but um i'm gonna steal candace's question because i don't know where else to go with this that's okay your tour um i don't know where you want to focus on but like you've talked to um a lot of really awesome people in both the movie and writing world uh book world um, I'm I'm wondering what, hmm, not the most enjoyable, but really what sticks out from the tour so far, and has it blown away your expectations? I'm also stealing that from Brennan, just stealing from my co-host today. Um, I mean, the tour is the the sort of the tough part of the tour, which is kind of going to city to city. That that part's um, basically over. Uh, there's a number of events left with a kind of one-off where I. I go away for a day or two or three and come back. Um, so the strenuous part is over. Uh, it was, it was really, it was the, the best of times and the worst of times, really. It was um, strenuous. Certainly. Um, I think some people are more cut out for such things, you know, that, that they, you know, they never got really past that phase in a good way of like being in college and sleeping on people's sofa, like they, that kind of rock and roll lifestyle sort of agrees with them. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a uh, sit here in this desk uh, at this desk day after day, hour after hour kind of person. Like I, I really like to just be working constantly. So touring was difficult for me. I knew it was going to be. So it's just a matter of kind of getting in the headspace that I had to do it and deal with the, you know, not getting much sleep and all that. Um, as I'm, you know, I'm sure you came across in your, in your research, uh, it, my, my sister was dying during the tour and then the, did die at the very end of the tour. So that was a, a constant um, counterpoint to everything that was happening. Cause the book was really had a lot of success right out of the gate. It was, it went to its fourth printing, I think on the fourth day that it was out. So it was really, really doing tremendously well. Um, so I was having these high highs, but then these low lows too, where I was constantly getting updates that, you know, she had only a month to live. And then a few days later, it was no, she only has a couple of weeks to live. And then it you know, went down to days. And so it was this, uh, it was, it was tiring, you know, it was tiring on, on a lot of fronts in a lot of different ways. Um, and a lot of the, I mean, the events were really good. And I think it's because of everything that was going on, it was kind of a blur. But at some point here, and it may be that point is now, I can kind of begin to, to look back on it just for kind of what it was. And it was pretty remarkable. 
You know, book tours are a tough thing these days. It's tough to get people to come out. And people came out. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was really motivating and touching. I think um, the number of people that would that would say not just I've already read the book and I liked it, but that would say this is my favorite book of all time or this is one of my favorite books of all time. To get that in like the first week or two uh, was, you know, certainly beyond any kind of perception I've ever had before. And uh, I think I did, I have not had the time or wherewithal to really thank everyone mm. coming out like they did and saying such nice things. And, you know, they didn't know what was going on with me in my, my private life, but they were, uh, which is all the better, which makes it all the more genuine that they were um, coming out and just being so, so enthusiastic about the book. Um, so to, to sum up, it was a really good tour. I think it was uh, hard in a lot of ways, but um, I'm glad to have done it, which is a little, what you say about a lot of things that are difficult in life. I, I wasn't always enjoying it while I was doing it, but I'm glad to have done it, certainly. I just want to say, and then Candice jump in, I just want to say I'm, I'm for all three of us are just ter terribly sorry about you know what happened to your sister i wasn't gonna bring it up unless you talked about it but that no it's it's totally fine i mean it's it's I, I i get that um but i think it's healthy to talk about it um so it's you know it's just a fact of life so it's fine yeah and, and thank you and, yeah absolutely and then uh just the talking point um a few people that were on your tour a few stops dan sean love that guy he's a great mm -hmm. writer super interesting to talk about um Gillian Flynn, and then who else? Uh, you got Stephen Graham Jones, C. Robert Cargill, um, a whole lot of other awesome people that you talked with. That's that's just so that's so cool, man. It kind of seems like you're the rock star of an author. Like what what you would want to do would be talking to a bunch of fun people, and you got you're watching The Shape of Water at Alamo Draft House, and I mean it's all. You, you got this backlog where you can just promote this one newer book, but you can also promote your older ones in a lot of different formats. That's really neat. There's yeah. no question there. Candace, jump yeah. in and save me. <laughs> save you from yourself. So the tour was absolutely amazing. So to kind of bridge off of that and get into the novel itself, expectations when you were writing it and the whole process of it's written it's edited it's being published and it's out like there's always that little okay now we hurry up and wait you know like how is the world going to like it or is it going to be received what were your expectations expectations compared to the reality of it i think is what i want to start with well, typically my expectations are really low. Um, uh, and generally that's why I, historically before 2020, anyway, I, I did almost no press for any of my books. Um, so for my first, you know, 10 books, I did I, virtually nothing. Yeah. Um, and that's, that was a decision of, you know, back in most of those days I was working full time. So I just, I decided just to, focus all my free time on, on writing and none of it on promoting. Um, so my expectations are always low and uh, generally releases don't really inspire any excitement in me. Um, okay. I really, really am focused on just the writing part. Yeah. I, I would happily become a JD Salinger and just write books and put them in my, my drawer. That's what I did when I was a kid. And <laughs> I'd be kind of happy with that, except I need yeah. to make money to live. Uh, so some books, it really is almost a um, a speed bump when I have to pause for a book to come out. It's not something I relish. It's mm -hmm. something I sort of have to do. I've moved on to two or three other projects by then. Yeah. Um, so, but but this is a great question because this one was a little different from the beginning. I mean, as is clear from the fact that I was fully engaged with it throughout. Yeah throughout pre uh, throughout uh, the rollout of it and the big tour and all that stuff 
And that goes back to really the uh, moment of coming up with the book and the premise of it and knowing just sort of right away that this was a special premise um, mm -hmm. that I thought this is something that has that rare thing that rarely happens in life where it's like, this is something that I'm really into the idea and might actually appeal to a large number of people. And <laughs> that's pretty rare. Um, my tastes run uh, pretty, pretty weird. Uh, so it's, this was a, a way to do something that was extremely uh, interior and in the most like physical of senses, like uh, sort of in its own way, kind of gross and, and uh, absurdly absurd in the sense, like it was, a, it's all realistic and scientifically accurate, mm -hmm. but absurd in the, the, their very idea of it. And yet there's something so um, there's something about the idea of being swallowed by something giant. That's so that hits uh, our primordial brain in such a way that I just felt that everyone would instantly understand the stakes uh, from the, from the word go. And uh, we're so programmed with this idea of being swallowed by a whale and sort of throughout time that this would, there would be, a, it had an innate power. And I, I sensed yeah. that right away. So my, I, my thought was, if I can pull this off, this may be, if I'm ever going to put all my eggs in a basket and, and really pause and promote a book and stick with it and uh, experience that whole process of putting a book out, like I don't normally do, this would be the, this would be the book to do it. Um, so I was sort of aware of that right away. So my expectations were, I guess they were kind of high, you know, like I, I thought I had something here. Uh, and, um, yeah, and, right. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I think generally, yeah, I think yeah. It um, it has you know it has hit people in a way that I more than I could have hoped. Really, it's it. Yeah, it's it's exceeded my expectations. I guess to answer your question, it has um three thousand three hundred and fifteen ra ratings right now. And 899 reviews on Goodreads, which is amazing. <laughs> That's a lot. I, I have um, no sense. I, I'm going to trust you. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now just because I was kind of curious. That That's a huge amount. So, yeah, I would say you, you nailed it. Um, Brett. Brennan, do you want to jump in or do you want me to ask my next one? No, I want to, I, I've got a follow-up for that. Um, when you came on last year, Daniel, and you kind of gave us the heads up, this book was coming. Um, you talked a little bit about the YouTube video that almost kind of inspired the germ of the idea. You talked about working with uh, or, or communicating with scientists to just make sure that everything was right. I'm kind of curious if there's anything you want to tell us about the research that you haven't talked about, that's, you know, please do. But also what steps did you take? Cause the pacing in this thing is immaculate. And with the amount of science and factual information, you could have ended up with those Moby Dick walking through a museum type chapters. Right. So what steps did you take to make sure that the pacing, you know, really made it work? Well, uh, that's a great question, too, because the, the pacing really was the difficult part of the most difficult part of the book. Like you would think it would be the research for, and the research was difficult, but it was like taking a college class. Like, you know, it's just like you work through it, you have teachers and you kind of figure it out. Uh, the biggest puzzle was the pacing. Um, when you when you do those short chapters and you're flipping back and forth so much in time, uh, in some ways, it seems like it would be, it might be really freeing, uh, uh, sort of like would, would allow you to do kind of whatever you wanted. But the problem is, is that as opposed to more standard sized chapters, when you're going back and forth like that, you're, you're sort of putting beads on an abacus or um, uh, a series of weights out and every chapter is its own weight. And so once you start, once you get rid of a chapter or move a chapter, it throws everything off. Um, and then you have to kind of reweight the whole book. Uh, so it's, there's a lot of, you know, when it works, it feels kind of effortless, but there's, it's a pain really to, to work in, in that kind of format. Uh, but, you know, the format was driven by 
the desire to have a certain effect. Like the idea was I wanted to keep showing the air going down. So that meant, well, I, that led me to think, well, maybe I should have short chapters. And then once I started experimenting with that, I, w- I thought to myself, this kind of feels like every time we have a, a flashback, it feels like you're gasping for air. So it's like, well, that's kind of working too. So everything sort of fed into form and function were all sort of threaded together throughout the whole thing. Um but you're right, you know, it could have, had I not stumbled upon that, it it would have definitely run the risk of um, the, the Moby Dick effect, which, uh, you know, and I love Moby Dick, but yeah, there's definitely like giant chunks where mm-hmm. you're just like, here's here's the part where we're going to spend 40 pages learning about this. <laughs> um, and that's not what you want to do in a breakneck thriller. You want to weave that stuff in very, very carefully and figuring out where to kind of hang those pieces of information uh, was difficult. So I had a lot of different documents. Like I had various outlines that were sort of like, here's the plot. And I had a different set of outlines that were sort of like, here's here's everything about whales that I might need to know. And then a different outline that was kind of like, here's what happens as you're, as you're losing air and breathing more methane. And I just had to sort of squish them all together um, and in a, and in a book that's not particularly long, so it was it was all much very much of a balancing act. Um, but you know, there's always an element of luck to it as well. Like I can I can take credit for it, but I can also admit that um, sometimes things just work. Sometimes, and if you if you put out a lot of product, like I do, you know, like this is my 21st book, I think, like. It increases your odds of finally getting lucky uh, in, the, in the sense of everything just working right. Um, mm. I do think there's an element of just fortune to it. Like every once in a while, everything seems to the format, the function, the characters, the theme, everything seems to fit together. And that doesn't happen all that often. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, there's no question to this next part because you kind of already answered it, but you talk about the dual timelines and it is in my experience, it's very rare that you come across a book that works in dual timelines where even if they're both enjoyable, there's usually one where you're kind of itching to get back to the other. And I found that was absolutely not the case. And there's, um, there's almost like a staccato quality to the writing that uh, you described it as gasping for breath. And I, I wouldn't have stumbled across that, but that's it. Um, where no matter whether you are in the flashbacks or you're in the belly of the beast, there's an urgency that you're never thinking, well, I just want to get back to the other part. Uh, Balance, I think is the word. And, you know, I can only add my voice to the choir and say, you know, well done, man, really well done. But that's a really great point because that was certainly a concern. I, I, I went through that with the living dead, my Romero book, um, where uh, I had the same fear uh, that whenever you have dual timelines or even like are jumping between characters that are completely separate in geographical locations, you have that fear where like inevitably someone's going to like some elements better than others. And every time they get to one, one character again, whether it's the living dead or the stand or whatever, like you're going to be like, oh, I kind of want to get back to that other story. So that certainly was a big concern of mine here. Like things are so tense inside that whale stomach that you would sort of naturally think that there is no B story that can, is going to be able to balance this out. Um, so to, to to make that that B story have any chance of of punching against the 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 belly of the whale story, um, I'd have to play my cards very carefully and kind of aggressively in some ways. Um, because that was sort of the underdog story. So to make that have it as equal meaning and weight uh, was going to be a challenge. I, I, again, there, I think the uh, short chapters worked to my benefit because you were never drawn away too long. And if you're reading the book, particularly if you're reading it on, on uh, paper, you know, you can, you can see that, you know, most chapters are not more than a couple pages. Like you're, you're getting back to the whale really soon. Um, and hopefully if I've done my job right 
every chapter of the every element of those flashbacks is feeding something in to the next um is in heightening the tension of what's happening next in the stomach the idea was that throughout the book jay the diver would be um requiring pieces of information from his past um but i wanted each pieces each piece of that of the information he has to pull out of his head be connected to emotion like it could have just been he read a bunch of books right and then he's just remembering and there's there's nothing particularly emotional about that but every piece of information that he has to recall is tied to some some tumultuous moment that he had with his his dad so ideally that just makes everything uh that's happening in the stomach it amplifies the 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 tension of it how did you pick the uh value for each psi well i just i mean that no you no one's asked that before which i really appreciate because it was like it was kind of hard because i'm really bad at math uh so it was kind of just a math problem i would try to figure out how much time do i think um passed in that chapter and then uh sort of translate that to psi like how much how much uh uh you know gaseous uh, matter was leaving the tank um and it's not one to one because it's uh if you're panicked and you're breathing faster that's going to that's going to deplete your tank your cylinder more quickly uh so i would kind of do my best with that translation and then uh, of course um you know i had my expert diver to uh to to check the the my sort of estimates at the end of the book and he was helping me along the way but at the very end i could turn over the draft and say you know read through this and pay attention to the psis and let me know if there's any jumps in the psi that feel too like I've, he's lost too much here or not enough here um thankfully there's uh, really only divers are ever gonna um look at that and they're the only ones who are going to have a kind of knowledge base to to know. But still, as with everything, the, everything in this, only experts are, are going to really nitpick. So once I went down the road of, make, of really wanting everything accurate, then uh, the, the, my my nightmare was, was sort of set. Like that was the way it was going to be. Everything was going to have to be accurate. And that was a pain, but but gratifying because at least, at least I sort of knew what I was going for were in fiction, if you're just writing, let's say, a science fiction book, there's no real objective bar of how accurate something has to be or not, you know, so you can kind of fudge it, you can be you can be more accurate if you want or less accurate. This at least I knew where I had to be like, it was almost like I was being graded on it, you know, I had an invisible teacher who was going to be saying you have to get everything accurate. And that might mean occasionally there's cool things you want to do that you can't do but so be it yeah that's in my that's in my world my my full-time job uh working with different gases and cylinders and oh wow i i just thought that that that's why it stuck out to me i'm like seems i'm not a scuba diver but seems legit and the way you just described your thought process behind that it just goes to show you your intelligence as a writer um so I, i just think that's really really interesting and I got one question that one one of you two, Brennan or Candace, jump in. Um, I don't know if I'm the first to even ask this. I might be the millionth to ask you this. Have you considered this book as a cosmic horror? It's a question I've been asking. Um, I think I think it is. Yeah, it's like uh, it's not. While that's a genre I'm interested in, it's not a genre I have a ton of experience in. So I've been asking other people who um, engage in that genre a lot, if they think it is, I feel like it is like from the very beginning when, when the book was just a proposal that I was sending to an editor, um, I had sort of mocked up a cover and it was really a whale that was made of stars really made of like galaxy. Mm. Uh, So right from the beginning, I had a sense that there was something cosmic about it and that there would be a point, um, and I'd always intended this. And in some ways, it's my favorite part of the book. There's a point in uh, the book where Jay thinks all is lost and he just sort of has 
this conversation with the whale. Um, and I always wanted to get to that point somehow where it's like, we sort of lose track of reality and we're just going to have this, uh, conversation sort of with this un unknowable, unfathomable godlike um, being. And that felt to me like cosmic horror, but again, I'm not an expert in it. Cosmic horror from my understanding is just that, uh, it, it makes us feel it's like getting to know the universe. I read this book and I promise this will be short, but I read this book by Neil deGrasse Tyson, astrophys uh, my favorite astrophysicist. And, um, I understood it, but God damn, I felt like I am not smart enough to fully grasp all this. It, it just makes humans realize how unimportant we are in the whole grand scheme of things. Cause we, a lot of not, I'm not saying you or me or whoever, but, as a species, we act like we're just like the center of the, the universe. And that's not true. And I think yeah, I mean, that, you know, the, the, the seas, just like the ocean, I mean, just like the, uh, just like space and the way you described like starfish turned into stars and, uh, the way you use certain words, I can't think of them on the top of my head, but details with jellyfish or you said at one point, um jay's dad said that the lords are under underwater all, all those things like they are sprinkled throughout the book man that to me that's why it's cosmic car yeah and there's a there's a, a section of the book a chapter where the, jay's dad is is explicitly making that connection or he's like saying you know this is this is sort of the real church this is where people go to feel small again, the same way they would in a church where really, if you think about it, the whole idea is if you go to a church, whether it's a cathedral or the ocean, uh, by feeling small, like physically small, you recognize the, the possibility of bigness of something bigger than you. And that's, that's the ocean. That's the, that's whales. So it's all very uh, spiritual in that sense and, and uh, cosmic. Yeah. Uh, Brian. I'm going to throw it back to Candace. She's uh, she hasn't gone in a while. Okay. Yeah, I was waiting for Brennan, but okay. Um, I actually didn't hear you mention it and I kind of want to ask even though I think I already know the answer anyway but I'm going to ask with all of the research that you had to do did you at any point do any hands-on research or was it all just questions and emailing back and forth or did you actually get in the water or put on the mask and and what was that like if you did yeah, I did as much hands-on as I could. So this was this was right in the thick of COVID. So uh, some things were limited, uh, mm -hmm. what I could do. Uh, the hands-on things that I did was um, I learned to scuba dive, which was not something I had ever really wanted to do. I'm not big on the water. I'm not a good swimmer. Um, I grew up in the Midwest. So mm -hmm. it's just like I, I, it was not on my list of things to learn. Um, but I learned how to do that, and that was scary, but also very cool. Um, right before the, the bad Omicron wave, like it was coming, you could see it coming. I had like a matter of days. I flew out to uh, Monterey so I could spend a couple days at Monastery Beach and in the town, get the lay of the land, um, and that was hugely helpful. I literally could stand on the beach and figure out, okay, how does Jay walk to this beach? And I just videotaped the exact walk he'd take. Um, where where would be the best part for him to approach the beach, and then I could I could talk that over with my my diving expert. Um, and of course the diving expert did the actual dives that Jay does. So I also had video record of the actual dives to kind of paste together with my sort of beach videos. Um, what I didn't get to do, and what I uh, and it's, it's illegal for me to do, <laughs> was be present at a. Uh, uh, a beached whale sort of dissection. So the only time scientists can really uh, examine uh, sperm whales when it beaches, washes up dead. Um, and even at that point, they, they have maybe 24 hours with it before it has to be removed. Um, 
And I sort of, when that happens, a kind of bat signal goes out and all the scientists in the, uh, in the region anyway, can try to get there as quickly as they can and um, uh, do, do what they can in that limited time. And I would have loved to have done that um, as, as much as that sounds um, scary to me, like I'm not big on bloodshed, but I, but you have to have certain clearances to do it. So that was never going to happen. And I, I, and I pushed a little bit and tried to see if there's a way I could do it, but it just wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. Um, so, you know, I did the, the best I could. I visited what museums I could to, to look at their various specimens, whether it was like a whale brain or a whale heart or whatever. Um, but uh, there was no way I was going to really be able to get my hands on a sperm whale. So, but I did what I could. I, I talked to, you know, constantly to experts who were dealing with these things every day. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I went as, as far as I could with it. I, um, when I read it, I, I know nothing about going underwater as far as I could dive. I've been in the ocean. I can swim well. I've done all of that. But as far as diving or any of that, nope. But when I was reading it, 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 I swear, it just felt like it was written from just a professional, just hands-on point of view, just step by step by step, like, you live this almost like it just pulls you in. And I was like, I wonder if he actually got to do any of this, like how much of it. So yeah. Well, on tour, on tour, you know, there's not that a whole lot of like sperm whale experts out there. So I didn't encounter any of those people, Uh, but I did encounter a lot of divers um, Mm. who set up the events. And um, I would have guessed that at least one of them would have pinged me on some things, but none of them did. Um, generally the feedback I got was they couldn't believe I wasn't a diver. Yes. That's and, cool. That's so cool. Now that said, I'm was someday I'm going to, my luck's going to run out and a, a diver is going to get in my case and I'm sure they'll be right. Uh, but offhand, thanks to my own diving expert, Connor yeah. Gallagher. Um, I think I mostly pulled that off. And, and you're right. Like part of it is knowing what you're talking about, but part of it is speaking with sort of an authority and mm-hmm. using the kind of terminology that uh, a diver would use. And just so it, it conveys to your reader, even if they can't follow everything you're saying that, okay, this, this writer, it sounds like they know what they're talking about. I'm going to, I'm going to trust them. Yeah. Um, the storyline between Jay and his dad, um, I could almost hear his father like speaking. Me too. He, he he was just. I feel like he was spot on to be any one of those divers or fishermen that you would find out on the coast and everything. Like what the way he spoke, the words he used. Like I could almost hear the harshness in his voice and everything, and then. The comparison with Jay and how Jay always kind of felt like he was the weaker one and his father was not proud of him and all of that. All of that emotion that went into that part of the storyline, were there some points in there that hit a little too close to home with you or was all of that just pulled from different like aspects of just life? And do you know someone that you kind of pulled a lot of his dad from, like someone who maybe speaks like that or kind of behaves like that? Because he was so, just so real. It, <laughs> I really yeah. liked him a lot, even though he was harsh. But I, I feel like he was he just became so real. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, um, some of that's biographical. It's true. Yeah. Um it, you know, my dad certainly was not. I mean, there's a point in the book where Mitch kind of goes way over the line um, and endangers his son, really. And, and my dad never did anything like that, certainly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are scenes, there are, yeah, there are scenes in the book that are entirely biographical, that are, that are yeah. just exactly things that have happened to me. Um, yes. 
I mean, the answer is yes. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough to figure out like how to talk about it or what to say or what not to say. Um, we can go with yes. Yeah. <laughs> we can go with yes. Yeah. But you know, I, I do think what has been surprising though, is how much it has connected with people. Like you never really know. Exactly. Like, was this just me? Am, am I off base here and feeling the way I feel? And it's like so many, so many people have like, wow, this, this has really feels like something that I lived, you know, my, my lived experiences with my parents or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that has been really interesting to um, hear. Uh, it hits home a lot. Like it. Yeah. It's relatable on a very emotional, just, it hit me a lot because I I have certain experiences in my past with my own dad, where he was just very sort of harsh and very blunt and very, you know, just kind of made, there were times where he just sort of made you feel a little bit small, like a little bit like less than, and you feel like, Okay. And there were some moments in the book that I was just like, wow, okay, I felt that. Yeah. You know, so. By the same token, I was, I think people, some readers anyway, and certainly me as the author, was surprised. And this was not really something I saw coming when writing it. Was surprised by how much I came to um appreciate Mitt, the the dad character, um, and have have sympathy for him and understand him. Yeah, like I think I came to understand him better than I set out to. Yeah, and that I came to realize that the lessons that he was constantly trying to give Jay was his version, the best he could do at the time of of, of giving love to him. Right, it was poorly applied, but like that was that was what he, how he understood yeah. how to do it. Um, and I, I certainly found myself empathizing with or identifying whether I wanted to or not with Mitt more often than uh, I wanted mm -hmm. to. Like I started out, you know, Oh, I'm Jay. We're all reading the book. We're all Jay. But it, right. uh, there are points where the book kind of catches you off guard and you, as it goes on, you're like, well, maybe I'm a little bit Mitt as well. Right. right. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I think that whole part of it was this extremely, well done and relatable for many, many reasons. And yeah, like I think all of us, maybe at this particular stage of life, we are like a little bit Jay, but I think also we're a little bit Mitt because maybe at this stage of life, we kind of understand our own moms and dads a little bit more than we did at that age that Jay was. So we're kind of at the stage where like, yeah, we still remember how it felt like to be Jay, but we also understand where they might have been coming from as an adult now and like looking at it now at that level, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, you have to kind of accumulate enough failures in life in a way to sort of like yeah. understand an older generation and uh, of your parents or whoever, like he's you start to realize how oh, things it is hard to be uh, the best person to everybody. Like somebody's going to get your, you can't be everything to everyone. Somebody's going to get your, your bad side. Yeah. Brandon. Um, I am going to try and ask this spoiler free. And if I botch it, please let me know and we can cut okay. this. Poop him on the nose. Okay. Um the I'll shut up. <laughs> my favorite part of this uh, of this book but you know just kind of my experience reading this book um it, when you think of a thriller a lot of times more often than not they have this kind of foregone conclusion the hero wins. Um and I remember hitting a point maybe 80% into the book where it just hit me that Jay was in a place where I legitimately wasn't sure whether or not he was going to make it out. And what really struck me was that 
up to that point, thematically, you had made it work so that the ending could go either way and it would be satisfactory. It would be a payoff that the reader can't help but, you know, accept. Uh, mm-hmm. Inevitable almost. And I guess I'm just curious how. <laughs> What kind of, how how did you kind of lead up to that point and craft that kind of almost unexpected aspect of a thriller? Well, I love hearing that. Um, Certainly when I was uh, plotting out the book, I I didn't know either um, what, if he was going to make it or not. Um, And I think that because I was sort of more or less plotting the book out sequentially, um, you know, when I was 80% of the way figuring out, and this was a book that had to be plotted out beforehand because I needed to have every every minute accounted for. So this I had I had to extensively outline. Um so when I got 80% through the outline, I didn't know which way it was going to go either. Um and I think and maybe that's why it works, is that I in some way was sort of creating it in such a way that it felt like uh, maybe I was hedging my bets. Maybe I, I was saying I, I got to make this work one way or the other, and I don't know which way it's going to go. And ultimately, the way it, it went, you know, was based on uh, something I, I figured out along the way that um, d- determined how the end should go. Um, but I, I, I really appreciate that and really value that. Um, that. I don't think there's a lot of, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but there's, there's a lot of entertainment out there where you could be happy with the, the hero dying or living. Like it feels like either way he has, he has done something um, notable. He has done something valiant. Like he has been through something. And even if he doesn't make it, um, he has achieved something and it's not just, the achievement of, you know, a physical achievement of staying alive for as long as he did, but he has come to this like greater understanding of, of his relationship with his dad, but even bigger than that, this is sort of his relationship within the the wider world. And I think we can see what he goes through and the, the, where he is mentally near the end and, and almost kind of envy it in a way and be like, he, he has reached a point where it's okay if he doesn't make it too, because he has tried so hard and he's done so many things right. And in some ways he's, he's achieved a kind of Zen um, there in the stomach that he, he never would have achieved online. And he, he's on, outside. I mean, he's almost achieved a piece that is impossible. He never would have achieved on land, you know, in some ways, even if he dies, he's in some kind of elemental way, he's almost better off than he ever was before, which is a weird thing to say. But um, I think that's something that's maybe generally not a part of survival tales. Usually, if it's this tale of someone getting mauled by a bear, you just want to survive being mauled by a bear. <laughs> you know, there's no like, you're not kind of coming to terms with uh, life on the planet. Uh, where this says there's something again, sort of cosmic about being inside the stomach. It feels like you're, you're in the womb again. And he's, he's getting this chance to be reborn um, in a, in a sort of better, wiser way. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm feeling emotional about it right now. I feel like it's a, um, there's a certain magic to this book that I certainly could not have meant to put in it, but I can tell you this much. I've never written a book where I'm sitting here doing interview number 50 and <laughs> feel teary eyed, you know, like there's something about this that can even affect me this far into the talking about it. Like there's, there's something, there's something strange about this book. That's, that's pretty incredible to hear. And uh, I'm pretty sure this is public. If it isn't tell me and I'll cut it out, but he also got a film, de- a film deal for this book which is pretty insanely cool i i don't even <laughs> i just wonder what what is that gonna be like yeah um, you can be both um <laughs> yeah, i'm not 
I'm not asking you to 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 reply to this specific thing, but Guillermo, I'm not saying it's because you worked with him, but Guillermo Guillermo del Toro, I love that guy's work. He seems like a perfect choice for it. Again, I'm not asking you to reply to that thing, but um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, yes, it has been optioned by Imagine Entertainment. Um, it is an interesting concept to try to visualize. Um, in some ways, it seems impossible, but in other ways, you know, like like any single room movie, like a lot of them are based on plays or whatever. Like this is largely self-contained. You know, if you if you can build that one set really well. Uh, it'll be a weird, squishy, <laughs> rubbery set. Um, but you know, one of the wild things about that you, know, that you learn in the book that I learned when researching it is that these stomachs, this whale stomach, is not some black pit. It's this amazingly colorful, almost neon-colored uh, chamber of of bioluminescent creatures uh jellyfish and squid and they're emitting these incredible colors so it's it's talk about cosmic it's it's almost hallucinogenic in there um so it is it is way more visual than one than certainly i would have thought going into researching it um it's the the quarters are tight certainly but they're they might be kind of amazing to look at um sure. There's very little, you know, because of the strikes and stuff, there's almost nothing I can tell you about the movie except that it's, you know, hopefully will get made. That's about all I can say. You guys have any other questions about Whale Fall? I'd actually, before we let you go, Daniel, I'd like to make sure that we uh, spend a minute talking about uh, middle grade books. Um, first off, congrats on the uh, very first middle grade Stoker. That is really awesome. And having... Uh, recently read the Teddy's books, uh, well-deserved as well. Uh, I'd love to pick your brain on your approach to middle grade books, because what blew me away about those is the way that you told a story that's very clearly geared, geared towards that age range, but without pulling any punches, without talking down to your readers and essentially just presuming competence. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's some things in those Teddy's books that I honestly can't believe I got away with uh, <laughs> under a major publisher, unless, um, yeah, you know, it's, I feel like what I'm, I'm just going to tell the stories I'm interested in. And I don't ever think to myself, Oh, I want to write a middle grade book. Now that'll be a good profit stream for me. <laughs> you know, I'm just coming up with story ideas. And then sometimes when I came up with that one, um, you know, believe it or not, my first thought was, you know, this is just going to be a, uh, an adult book about teddy bears. And I was like, no, I could, I could write it in this sort of like charming, uh, simpler uh, prose style. And, um, and then, you know, pretty soon I was like, yeah, this should, this should be a book for kids. But uh, the content never really changed in any of that. Like um, all I sort of scale when I do books for different age ranges is the language the idea is I don't scale at all. Um, and I think there are, Oh, I know they are, there are parents out there who don't appreciate it. Um, but you know, they don't, there's lots of kids books out there. Like the, the stuff that I, that really affected me as a kid was stuff that was that a lot of people, well, everyone would have considered too, too much or too far, you know, I bet all of us here saw saw and read things we we shouldn't have when we were young, and that stuff. I think I think it, fair enough. I think some of that stuff uh, probably scarred kids, and they they were afraid, and they ran the other way, and that's a totally rational um, experience. But there are some of us who who read and saw those things, and ended up becoming really good for us. Like it it showed us where our limits were, which I think tends to make tends to create people who have broader horizons and who, who are uh, open to, to, to more kinds of uh, things and peoples and cultures. And um, I, for me, for me encountering things that were uh, morally complex um, at a young age was just 
really, really good for me. And I know there's a few kids out there like that. There's and there's just enough of them that the the Teddy series could get published so that they could they could find them. Um, I really, you know, out of all the plots that I've written, the entire Teddy saga might be my favorite plot. <laughs> um, I really like how it all comes together at the end. But it is it is a hard book. It's very sad. Um, there are, you know, one thing you do not see a lot of in books for kids is this idea that something akin to like the kid version of mob mentality, like that, that we all can, can be part of the bad guys. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a, there's a scene near the end of the first book where the teddies, the good, the good teddy bears sort of enact, they have to stop this kind of quote unquote monster teddy bear. And they go too far. Like they, once they start, they get the upper hand on it. They just tear it to pieces. And then they're all just kind of looking at each other. Like, what have we, what have we done here? And that's, I think a, uh, typically in a kids entertainment, you would just banish the dragons. You'd all be like, hooray. Instead of thinking, Oh my God, do we really need to do that and go so far? And, you know, so the, the book, the books play with a lot of that really um, darker sort of introspective um, things that, you know, kids are going through all the time. But it's just, I don't know. I, I, I have, I have not maybe a good sense of uh, the, or the best sense of how those books affect people, but um I don't find myself losing any sleep over it though. I think, I think the kids that no one's going to, you know, these kids, they'll, they'll close the book if they need to close the book. It'll be, it'll be okay. No, I think you're onto something with the idea of, you know, when you were young, you wanted books that forced you to grapple with issues and there are other kids like that. And these are, these are the books for them. You know, that's, that's the reader you're writing for. Yeah. Well put much more succinctly put. Thank you. It's a safe way to do it too, and deal with that kind of situation. Yeah, yeah and the, that that's a great comment because you know, you know, I've got a teddy bear in book one that's tearing its own eyeballs out. They're not eyeballs; they're like marbles, right? You can't do that to a, a kid character. You can have this <laughs> kid. I found out you could with teddy bears as characters, you can tear them to pieces. Yeah, you know, and they can sort of that makes them have to kind of carry their wounds with them as they go. Mm. Uh, which was a really interesting thing to play with because they, they couldn't, their boo-boos couldn't get better. You know, um, mm. I found not having a, a human or even animal protagonist, but a, a, a protagonist of a felt and cotton really opened up some really interesting ways to think about trauma and pain and, and growing up. That's so cool. Um, so I know we're winding down now. I have to ask you about creep show. I'm wearing my creep show shirt. I know this I am a huge fan of the first two movies. I like the new, um, the reboot. Uh, well, it's not a reboot, the uh, TV show. Um, and once I saw your name on the the holiday special, I mean, I was already going to ask my wife for, because I never really want anything for Christmas. That's coming yeah. out in December. I'm like, there it is. That's what I want for my gift. <laughs> and I want to hear from you how you got involved in that. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, my I'm not a real big like obsessive person about like I'm not a uh, a big um, participate in a lot of fandoms or anything like that. Uh, the the I have two exceptions. That one is Night of the Living Dead, which I'm utterly obsessed with. Um, it's a good movie. And, uh, if I were to pan around, you would just see Night of the Living Dead everywhere. Um, oh, second only to that, and really, there's only two movies that I feel this way about is Creepshow. I just love 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 Creepshow. But the uh, first and or the second? second I mean, the, the first. I like the second a lot. But uh, the, the first, Creep Show and Night of the Living Dead are just sort of my favorite movies. Um, so, yeah. So my relationship, my professional relationship with Creep Show began with the TV show, right? So I did. I wrote two episodes of that. Um, and I'd be happy to write all the rest of the episodes. Like, I'm just, I, I love Creep Show so much. And I love that the tone of it is just um, so fun, so much fun when it's done yeah. right. It's just, there's just nothing better for me. Um, 
And so, you know, they started the creep show comic book and I just really wanted to get involved with that. Um, and I had, I've been knocking around this idea for a couple of years about, uh, Christmas stockings. Cause I noticed how, uh, the classic Christmas stocking, you know, that, that kind of goes down to the ankle, but, but then the foot is really small. Like the foot doesn't go out like a full foot. It goes out. There's just a tiny Holy little foot. I've never and noticed so, that. <laughs> so I was thinking, well, why are they shaped like that? So I, I started imagining there was this other creature out there. There wasn't just Santa Claus, but there was this uh, other being that I creatively titled Christmas man. <laughs> I, I love how, how uncreative that is. For some reason it really tickles me. And uh Christmas man, you know, is this supposed creature uh, that, you know, is always chasing Santa. And because he's always running after him in the snow, his, he loses his toes to frostbite. Um, and he, he's the one who fills your stockings. He comes in to warm up his toes in the stockings, uh, which are built to, for his stumpy little feet. Um, but if you don't leave the stockings out, then he's going to, he's going to do something bad. So that, that's sort of the, 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 the premise, the myth behind the comic book, which is just really, that. yeah. And just really super fun. I could, I could do creep show stuff forever. <laughs> that's so, that's seriously clever. Uh, Candace, go ahead. With what I just, I, was I thought I interrupted you. Man, I, I have, I, look, I got that one more great. question that I have to ask Dan, Daniel. Uh, I just want your thoughts on George Romero's final installment, the seventh installment in his Living Dead film series, Twilight of the Dead. What just I don't know much about it, but um, what are your thoughts on it? It's it's um, I'm going to say very little. It's not my place to talk about it, so I'm not going to. Um, sure. All I can say is that I have um, I have read the um, uh the story outline that Paolo um, and George came up with. Um, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I, it's not my place to, to talk more about that, but I will say that uh, limiting my comments just to that story outline, really, really interesting stuff. Mm. Um, it's uh, who knows how it's going to go. I hope for the best, but um you know, everyone should be at the very least ca- cautiously optimistic. I loved Land of the Dead. I loved all of them, man. Honestly, Day Day of the Dead might be my my favorite, but I don't know. Now I'm going back. And yeah, forth. My, my my sentimental favorite, obviously, is Night of the Living Dead. But yeah. that's almost not a movie to me. I always talk about that's almost more like a song. Like it's just this thing that's in the background of my head. Uh, it that aside, I think Day of the Dead's my favorite. It's fun. Um, we're gonna go to final thoughts and then say goodnight. So, Daniel, final thoughts, sir. On what? On anything. Oh, it could gosh. literally be on pizza. I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> I just well, asked a question. <laughs> final thoughts is uh been a heck of a year. Um yeah. Looking forward to um November, I think. So I think uh, a lot more events in September and some in October looking forward to sort of, I really miss writing. Um, uh, I went a good four or five or six weeks there, basically not writing at all. And I, I, I don't recall ever going more than a couple days, not writing in my adult life. So, uh, I really just want to get back to work. Um, that's where I'm happiest. Uh, and, it's gonna happen soon. Those are my final thoughts. Candace. All right. Uh final thoughts to me are just a massive congratulations on Whale Hall and everything else. Um, thank you, of course, for your time here. And I uh, can't wait to have you back in six to nine months. See see what else you you have. Perfect. Brennan. Yeah, I wish you uh, happy days locked away in the office coming up. That sounds fabulous. Um, you know, usually at this point, I would I would say, hey, you know, I hope that people will go, you know, based off the conversation, go pick up whale fall. I think most of the people probably already have it. Um, if they don't, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> go get it. Um, and if you haven't cracked it yet, dive in. Um, absolutely. Ooh. No pun. No pun intended. Seriously. I'm so sorry about that. Um, 
it's it's such a great book man it's my favorite of the year uh no no smoke um and i do hope that anybody who hasn't uh picked it up yet will yeah i don't use this with hyperbole but it's really just an instant classic it really is um I, I just want to thank you for coming back, man. It was a great, uh, it was an honor the first time we got to talk to you and now we got to know you a little bit more and we just want to have you back again whenever we can. So thank you so much, man, for your time. I, I appreciate it. This isn't uh, smoke either. This is a, this is one of the, the ones I really look forward to coming on. This is a, a, a really nice conversation. So anytime you want me back, you just let me know. Absolutely. I don't know how to talk now. <laughs> um, <laughs> the next episode is uh, 209 with Stephen Graham Jones. Um, yeah, seriously, get whale fall. I'm listening to, uh, uh, I have the audiobook, the uh, digital one too, but I just wanted to listen to it. I love your audiobooks. Um, and we're by the hardback, the paperback, whatever, whatever's out there, get it because it's a great, it's a great book. Um, that's all I gotta say. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Daniel, Candace, Brennan, um, and listeners or viewers. You have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking up.